Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. You know, we've also gotten into to sort of health and food access at this point, at this point here as well, because again, we've identified uh, a lot of our communities lack access to some of these critical resources, which is a whole other sort of side conversation about the history of economic development across the region. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachia. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world. We're back another week. It's Will. And Neil. What up, my man? What's going on? You got the weather forecast for me? Man, it's uh, a little rainy in Appalachia. Front seems to be moving out, so all things will be ready for the weekend for uh, some football action. <laughs> I was getting ready to say big plans for the weekend, but it all, <laughs> it all revolves around football, right? It does right now. I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of football, I think a certain someone infiltrated the whole football scene, actually made football even bigger than it is. You're, you're a Swifty, right? <laughs> I would not consider myself a Swifty uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a Kelsey, I guess. Someone I tell mean, me you're a Swifty. <laughs> somebody lied to you. I'm a fan of Travis Kelsey. You know, I don't know what's more significant news. The fact that uh, Travis Kelsey and his brother have taken us over as number one podcast in in America, <laughs> or if he is now dating Taylor Swift. What do you think? Yeah, that's a good good question. Yeah, yeah, good question. I did see that the Swifties were trolling the Kelsey uh, or just football fans in general, saying that Taylor Swift put Travis Kelsey on the map. That basically no one knew who he was before, before the weekend. Yeah, I don't, I don't see this lasting too long, Will. What do you think? I don't either, but I think it's great news. Yeah, I don't see it lasting. I don't think any of her relationships last very long. But maybe he'll get a song written about him. Yeah, hopefully that'd be the that'd be the best thing to come from it. I think. I don't really pay attention to her relationships, so she's had multiple relationships that don't last long. Apparently, she's had. A lot and she writes songs about him after she breaks up oh so know. she just uses him as material apparently apparently yeah. i like it i like it you know i did see that this week his jersey sales had spiked to number one yeah uh, they increased by like 250 percent. yeah so it is the i mean the swifty effect does does play a role oh yeah she may be the most famous person in the world I know, and I just really don't get it, but whatever. From Teardrops on My Guitar or or uh, the, the Tim McGraw song to now, yeah, I don't understand it either. But it's a force, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, apparently. I don't know. 
Are they even, I guess they're around the same age. I mean, is it serious if you are in the suite with the guy's mom? Like she was sitting next to Travis's mom. I know. Like that's uh, somewhat serious. I mean, I think so. You don't meet the parents, right? Unless it is. Unless it's next level. I'm like you though. I don't think it'll last long. No, no, it's it's set up. It's this is all set up for a big letdown. So I'm looking forward to it. When the letdown happens, we'll jump back up to number one in the nation for podcasts and all things in the world will be normal again. <laughs> Good point. Other than that, do you have any app news for us, Will? I do. Getting out of the national, going into the app news. I have a little bit. I wanted to re-mention the Source Summit. It's taking place next week at the Corbin Arena in Corbin, Kentucky, October 3rd and 4th. they got a number of keynote speakers. If you're in the area, check it out. Also wanted to mention we had Jeff Barry, Dr. Jeff Barry, on the show previously talking about a potential Dark Skies Symposium. Well, that is going to take place in April 4th through 6th. I know that's a long ways away. But I wanted to mention it because they're currently having a call for participants for the Dark Skies Symposium. The submissions are due November 1st. We'll post something about that. And if you're interested, you can check it out. It is just a call for papers or participants of any connection to identity and the dark skies in Appalachia. So you can find out more. Also, the ARC just announced their Appalachian Leadership Institute 40 Fellows for 23-24. We'll post yeah. that. That's some exciting yeah. news there. Any Kentuckians on there, Will? There are. There are three Kentuckians. So All you right. can check that out. We'll, we'll post it in the show notes. I wanted to mention a couple of things that are going on in the region as well. One is the Elijah Georgia it's the Georgia Apple Festival <laughs> in Elijah, Georgia. I wanted to mention it because it's the 50th anniversary of this festival taking place on October 14th, 15th, and 21st and 22nd. Coming up, we got the fall weather. All the pumpkins are out. I wanted to mention this Apple Festival that kind of goes along with that. The last thing I wanted to mention, it's a race, a marathon. I know marathons happen all over the country, but this one is happening right here in Appalachia. It's one of the biggest race weekends of the year happening in Birmingham, Alabama, it, specifically in Hoover, Alabama, at Veterans Park in Hoover, Alabama. I wanted to mention it because it's the only fully charitable race in Alabama. So all the proceeds go to Magic Moments, which is a wish-granting organization dedicated exclusively to children suffering with chronic life-threatening illness. Magic Moments gives them, it's kind of like Make-A-Wish, but for Alabama kids. And this race, all proceeds go to that. So I wanted to mention that as a fully charitable marathon. It's a marathon, half marathon, 5K, 10K, and fun run. You can check it out if you're in the area. Make a donation or join the race. So speaking of being fully charitable, it kind of leads us into our guest tonight. He is a part of a charitable organization known throughout the country. Yes, a pretty big one. National recognition. It's something that everyone, when they hear the word goodwill, 
automatically thinks of the thrift store. I was going to ask you, what do you think of when you think of Goodwill? I think about, did I get my tax receipt? (laughs) (laughs) After you donated, after you donated at the thrift store, did you get your tax receipt? Yeah, Yeah. Did did I remember to pick up the paper? Yeah, I think that's what most people think of when they think of Goodwill, that they only are a thrift store. They only accept donations. But in reality, Goodwill does a whole lot more than just that donation center that the that you see in your communities. They do so much more for the communities. Yeah, for sure. Very active, which we'll learn more about here in a few minutes. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, definitely. With Dave Schuster, he's the CEO of, of a branch of Goodwill in the Appalachian section of Maryland. So without thir- further ado, let's find out about this more about this charitable organization, what it does for communities, not only nationally, but throughout Appalachia. You, so you just want to get him on here? Uh, yes, sir. Let's do it. What, 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 what? On this episode today, we have a special guest, Mr. David Schuster. He's the current CEO of Horizon Goodwill Industries and headquartered in Hagerstown, Maryland, or the Western Maryland region, which services 17 counties and runs 19 retail stores in Maryland, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Virginia. Fun fact, this Goodwill started in 1955, was the 100th branch of the Goodwill, and has since grown into one of the most respected nonprofits in the region. So Dave, I just wanted to thank you for being a part of the show and taking time to talk with us today. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. As Neil and I, as most Appalachians are big on tradition, Neil and I, we're, our family's big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays, this gigantic spread, bigger than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, Dave, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? I got to tell you, I appreciate the the extension plan where by having a lot of appetizers, which we do the same, you can then eat the dinner like three days later because you never actually get to the dinner, right? There's all the, all the leftovers. They're making mashed potatoes, sandwiches, and whatever you've come up with. Um, I got to tell you, so we do we do a lot of things here, and I can't say that this is necessarily a recipe per se for an appetizer, but we are big fans of an elaborate uh, meat, cheese, nut, and fruit spread sort of thing. So we'll get all the all the stinky cheeses and all the salt uh, salted cured meats and an assortment of breads and crackers and the whole nine yards, and pretty much you can eat an entire day's worth of food just right off that one tray, whatever whatever anybody else brought. Nice, nice. If I said it once, I've said it a hundred times. You had me at cheese. <laughs> right? That's my one of my pleasures as well. You can't go wrong with cheese, man. You got to have a nice wide selection, though. So I trust that, that Dave has a uh, lots of different formats <laughs> on his cheese board. We we try to be impartial. We get you know we get we get our milk from lots of different lots of different sources. You've got your goat cheese, your sheep's milk cheese, your cow milk cheese, and then all your different ages, some dry, some little wet. We got we've got we got the whole thing. So yeah, it's 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 quite a sampler usually. I love it. I love it. 
Neil and I started this podcast to really dispel some of the misconceptions that people have about Appalachia, about the Appalachian region. I think Goodwill, I think there are a lot of misconceptions around Goodwill in general. When people think of Goodwill, they automatically just think of donations. They think of the retail store. That's, for my opinion, that's kind of primarily it. But I know Goodwill does so many more things. Can you just talk about uh, you know, Horizon Goodwill Industries in your region and what you guys do and the services you provide? Absolutely. And let me just give a, a little bit of context about the Goodwill network, if you will, because you mentioned the, 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 the particular Goodwill that, that I'm at was the 100th Goodwill. There's actually just north of 150 total independent Goodwills in North America at this time. And each one of them has its own locally selected volunteer board of directors that, that hires and employs their own. CEO and, and, and staff teams to do two things within a territory that is assigned. And that is essentially to identify what the needs and opportunities within that territory for the people in the communities are, and then design and deliver programs to, to help advance, advance those, those people in those communities. Goodwill's got started in sort of the workforce development world. We actually uh, had our origin in Boston. Um, without going into a lot of detail, essentially the model was take things that that, that a wealthier class of indiv individuals no longer needed, repair them, fix them up, sell them, use the revenue to pay the wages of the skilled workers that were repairing the items. And so from that, you can extrapolate how we got into the, how we've continued to stay in the thrift business. But one of the things that's different about our thrift business than a lot of other nonprofits, and this creates some confusion, is that everybody who does that work is, is employed and, and paid for their time by us. We do not use volunteers typically for any of that work because we've always been an employment-based agency. So sometimes that creates confusion in, in terms of understanding what we do with a donation versus what another organization might do with a donation. So I, I just want to clarify that. To get into sort of what we do in, in our territory, you know, all of that model was really based around helping folks that may have at some point for whatever reason been marginalized out of the workforce to over to identify and overcome whatever those barriers may be. And so for a long time, as you might imagine, Goodwill's focused on education, skills training, maybe some interview skills, some cleaning up your resume, and because we have access to others donated clothing, maybe even a, a nice outfit to, to interview in, right? In a lot of communities, and we are one of those, especially given the fact that we are urban, rural, we're on the edge of Appalachia with a range of different, different economic conditions that getting a job isn't actually the challenge for folks at this point. It's addressing all the things that allow you to keep a job. And, and by that, what we typically, what we typically find referred to is that if you are housing insecure, it's hard to show up regularly for employment. If you lack adequate transportation, it's hard to show up regularly for employment, childcare. If you are having health, uh, either, either physical, mental health or substance use challenges, it's hard to show up regularly for work, right? The list kind of goes on of potential barriers. So, what we do is essentially try to work with folks to identify those and figure out how we get them past them at, at, a, at a high level, which of course takes a lot of different directions. And some of those directions you mentioned, housing, workforce development, youth services, training and development, whole family services, it kind of runs the gamut in regards to the services that you provide. It does. You know, in, in classic nonprofit sort of thinking, uh, you know, one would one would say, you know, pick a thing and stay in your lane, right? Pick a narrow mission, pick a narrow a narrow focus area. And for a long time, that was kind of what we did. Everything was around getting people jobs. 
But again, you realize that just helping them get the job isn't enough for them to get to a place of, of thriving or we're about to start uh, referring to it in terms of uh, social mobility at our organization going forward. And so a lot of us refer to sort of wraparound services, which are a lot of the things that you mentioned. So we will work to try to, to try to either through programs that we might that we might operate ourselves or through partner collaborative partners across our communities, we will work out ways that we can help folks address these things. So, you know, as an example, perhaps not shockingly, we have some housing affordability concerns across a lot of a lot of our region for any number of reasons. And like a lot of places, the wages of many of our of many of the jobs we have available aren't really sufficient for a majority of the housing that, that, that even what's available out here. In fact, you know, I think in one of our counties, the median home price this past month was three hundred eighty nine thousand dollars to purchase a home, which is somewhat astronomical for most of the, the, the wages we have. So we start looking at how do we uh, partner with others or in our case, get in, get into the, the, the space of, well, how do, we, how do we get somebody who might not have a place to stay at all for whatever reason into a temporary housing arrangement, then into a subsidized housing arrangement, then into a place where now they're earning enough that we can hopefully get them into something that they can afford on their own. Um, so that, that's, that's one example of those pathways. And like you said, at this point, because we've identified gaps in housing, we do some supported transportation. We do uh, adolescent and young adult programming. Uh, you know, we've got some challenges with bridging uh, some members of our communities from secondary school into into further education or into employment. You know, we've also gotten into to sort of health and food access at this point at this point here as well. Because again, we've identified uh, a lot of our communities lack access to some of these critical resources, which is a whole other sort of side conversation about the history of economic development across the region and why resources have, have departed in a lot of cases. Dave, you personally, but also your organization really likes to think outside the box. It may not be your traditional goodwill, especially not what people think of, but you mentioned earlier, you know, your organization has the freedom to really think creatively in regards to innovative strategies or in regards to solutions. Are there any innovative strategies you're currently working on that you haven't mentioned that you would like to mention? Well, related to the, the health and food security space. So we are actively in the process of working to open a full service grocery store in an area that, that lacks food access. It's, it's technically classified as a, as a food desert by the USDA. Um, within the, within the city of Hagerstown, actually, and there's a lot of factors that have led that 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 community that that uh, situation to exist. But perhaps not surprisingly, it is also one of the lowest you know lowest economic demographics and and has some of the highest obesity, highest uh, diabetes rates in in the county. So all the things you would expect to sort of see in an area like that are exactly the case. And so we started looking at. You know, again, having a job might be part of the picture, but if if you're not able to go to work because you're sick or be or you you're concerned and distracted because you you can't feed your family or you have to work two two and a half jobs, all these things, these again don't advance someone to sort of a, a socially mobile place or or a good quality of life. So we've decided that that seemed like it was a reasonable project for us to take on. I, I could write a book about what I've learned about the food, the, the entire food security space. Um, but to go with that, we, we partnered with a number of other agencies in our local, our local medical system, which is, which is a nonprofit community hospital, has actually been a great partner helping, helping us to 
work through some of the funding for that. But as a corollary in partnership with them, we have also opened a completely free primary care practice that also has uh, a mental health provider, uh, dental services, and will have healthcare navigation um, on, uh, well, actually does on site as well. Because again, that community, I think the nearest, the nearest low or no cost medical clinic is about a mile and a half um, from, from where, that, where that facility is located. And one of the other things about this portion of the community, low personal vehicle ownership and reliance on public transit. So we start looking at what are the gaps that are really holding folks back to your point about out of the box thinking. And while it may not be a space that we've ever been in before, if we don't, if there's, if there's really after doing some, some analysis of it, nobody else is, is taking it on. And we think that it's something that, that would, would certainly benefit the community. Then we will, as, as I just sort of detailed, absolutely take a look at how we do that. So we have simply applied to the state of Maryland for funding to pay for that medical practice. So we then hired, uh, that hospital system that also runs a number of physicians practices around the region to staff and set that project up in our building for the next several for the next several years. Um, so you know it's it's kind of it's kind of looking at what are the challenges, who are the partners, where where the resources available to try to bring these things back. But at the end of the day, as Hagerstown, as uh, a small to mid-sized Appalachian city looks to revitalize itself. You know, there's there's a lot of economic development being done around building a new baseball stadium and bringing some other things to the downtown area. But there also has to be this corollary to try to restore critical resources to that area or nobody's going to want to move in and live there if they just can't get the things they need. Right. So that's kind of the, the duality. Is that workforce development? We would argue it is because it allows folks to be employable. Right. And to have a better quality of life. But that's that's how we think probably a little bit differently than some than other more traditional goodwills in, in that in that space, which also creates a raft of confusion, of course, in the community. When as you yeah. started off, everybody says, "Well, you know, they they do they do thrift retail, and that's what they do, right?" Yeah, well, I, I'm a big believer in in success breeds success. Do you find that? In regards to your own organization, I mentioned before, you're one of the most respected nonprofits in the region. If they see you successful in one area, are are, are other organizations okay in you taking over a, a full full service grocery store, primary care facility? Are they comfortable with that? Or do you bring a lot of diverse voices to the table in regards to your board or in regards to partnering with other organizations to make something like this happen? We do a lot of listening. To be honest, you know, one of the things one of the things that we actually have that we have not done because we've not officially broken ground on the project. So there's no physical visibility of the grocery store other than some some brief news pieces about it. One of the things that we recognize is the need to do some outreach within the surrounding community to find out what what the needs actually are in terms of the food space. Right. There's a raft of data that suggests right now that, that it's a food desert. And that folks are having to travel all these distances, and we've also mapped what what they're currently paying to buy certain things within the, within the, the the actual area. But we don't actually know what folks want yet, right? And so before we start lining our products to the shelf, we're going to have our outreach team. So it's not going to be business leaders. It's not going to be myself. It's going to be our case management team. It's going to be our outreach team that works with with the community on a daily basis to have some listening sessions to say, hey, you've probably heard that this is coming what would be helpful to you, right? Because we want to know if there's cult, if, there, if there's items of particular cultural interest that, that, that the surrounding neighborhood would, would like us to, to try to source. We want to know 
you know what their what their sort of tensions around price are. We are already a Snap EVT vendor for a couple of other projects that we run, so we've already we'll already be able to to you know help folks help folks in that pathway. But we also don't know if the neighborhood has pets. That's kind of an example of the need to listen a lot, right? And that's a lot of what our a lot of what our team does. People ask me in my role, what do I do? I say I spend most of my day listening. <laughs> and that's pretty that's pretty much what I do. I, I you know I, I try to I try to listen to all the things that are going around to try to distill what the opportunities are. You asked if there's tension in the neighborhood, you know, with with other organizations sometimes because sometimes we do enter a space where we think or we have evidence now that we've collected that maybe the the more holistic approach that we take in in helping to helping to work with folks may be more successful um, than than some other models where folks are only you know doing one one thing and then kicking them to another agency to do this and it's it's sort of like if you've ever experienced a poverty simulator where you have to navigate 25 different agencies through public transit to get the services you need we try to be zero barrier and try to take care of everything sort of from a, a person-centered model that we can yeah I, I was going to say you mentioned stocking the shelves for pets you don't know if that's that's available yet but neil has chickens so you might want to keep that keep that in mind when you're thinking about uh stocking your shelf I, I will tell you neil if you want to keep your chickens don't move to downtown hagerstown because i do believe that they have some regulations about restricting urban farming here so i'm not sure that you're allowed, i'm not sure that you're allowed to have apartment chickens in hagerstown well david i i can promise you I, this appalachian ain't going nowhere fair so. enough I'll keep I'll keep my uh, I'll keep my chickens in the in the in the backyard and uh, <laughs> we'll keep rolling with it here here in uh, my neck of the woods. But uh, fair enough, fair enough. My, my chickens have served as well. You know, we've talked about it on here before. But my son started it as a a little side business. Uh, he had to raise them though to get them to to finally lay eggs, and uh, mm-hmm. then he went around the neighborhood selling uh, high priced eggs. So uh, <laughs> we did learn some valuable lessons from it, though. That's that's fabulous. We have a we have a store manager that I think that last count she had like 160 chickens. Oh um, my! She God. has she has the reverse problem and she can't give the eggs away fast enough. Yeah. So she she wow. at this point is just adopt. She just brings them in to and, and delivers them to folks on her team and on some of our other teams, just so that she doesn't have them stacked so what up, I, what I, up I, at her house. <laughs> So it sounds like a perfect opportunity to offer uh, eggs at the Goodwill as well. Uh, you, you know, we might, and I'll I'll be honest with you. Agriculture is this is the particular county's number one economic product here still, even though even though we're in sort of a, what people would consider sort of a metro influenced area, somewhat adjacent to DC and Baltimore. Um, but one of the challenges is that all of that locally produced, all that locally produced stuff, the, the you know the the produce, the fruits, and all that stuff. Not much of it makes it into downtown Hagerstown for access for these folks. So that's one of the one of the things that we're actually partnering with is our um, our local extension office and the agricultural business development folks to try to also build relationships locally to bring some of that stuff in. Because the reality is, right now this is not a neighborhood that would probably frequent a farmers market. Let me put it to you that way. Um, and so we've got some strategies whereby we can partner up and get some of that locally produced stuff at lower cost in for this particular this particular neighborhood, hopefully. So it's a good po- it's a good point to bring up there about about it being an opportunity because we think it absolutely is. I love it. 
Dave, you, you mentioned uh, Hagerstown having Appalachian challenges. You, you know, Hagerstown is in Western Maryland, as, as I mentioned. From a geographical standpoint, there's just a small portion of Maryland that is actually in the ARC-designated Appalachia area. I know you also cover West Virginia, Virginia, and Pennsylvania, but I wanted to ask you, especially as a Maryland resident, do a lot of Western Marylanders consider themselves Appalachian? You know, that's that is an interesting question that that I, you know, the more I work in the region and, and you know, prior to here, I, we came up here from south from southwest Virginia, which is which is also part of the, the part of the Appalachian region. So I consider myself at this point, you know, to, to be from the region. And I will say where I live, the, the trail is about three miles to the east actually of, of where we live and in, in, in here here in Washington County. So if you use that as a defining marker for, for any purpose, you know, we, it runs it runs the 40 plus miles of it in Maryland run, run right through here. But I would say Hagerstown in this particular community, probably not the strongest affiliation with the region, quite honestly. The further west you go down to, to Allegheny and Garrett counties, where the elevation goes up a little bit more and it's a little bit more mountainous, it, I think it gets it, it gets stronger out there. In fact, I would say that for our territory, 10 of those 17 counties you mentioned that we serve are, are ARC designated counties. And it's certainly the portions that we serve to the west of the panhandle in West Virginia that I think have a have a stronger have a stronger affinity, I think, and identity. Um you know, for toward, towards the Appalachian region. But right now I'm listening to advertisements on the radio station in the morning for the great Appalachian tattoo show that is coming to Hagerstown here at some point in the next couple of weeks. So, that, you know, there are some folks that definitely certainly identify, but, I, you know, I, by the same token, like I said, you've got a D.C., Baltimore metro influence that trickles out here a little bit. And so that's obviously a melting pot of folks from everywhere, right? And some of those folks trickle out here. Um, just because, ironically, in the, a more Appalachian region, the cost of living is lower and the quality of life in a lot of cases is higher. <laughs> so they band about here. I, I know there are only, what, three counties in Western Maryland that are in the Appalachian region. Mm -hmm. What other organizations do you partner with on an ongoing basis? Uh, out here, you know, we do, like I, like I mentioned, our a lot of our, 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 our local medical system out here. Um, in Maryland, we do partner... Uh, with with multiple different branches of the local the local governments, uh, we also partner with some state offices. In fact, there are several initiatives at the state level in Maryland that, when you talk about earlier, you're talking about organizations see success and they want to, they want to get involved and they want to, they want to keep helping with that. We've been very successful through um, some of our work supporting reentry and, and substance use recovery and some of our um, youth housing programs that year over year now we're being asked to continue and expand some of the, some of those efforts um, here in Maryland. So we do a lot of work, a lot of work with the state. And then probably every on the ground um, other service provider in any, in any spectrum. So everything from agencies that, that you know, support individual, individuals with significant disabilities to our crisis, to our crisis homeless shelters. I mean, you name it. Uh, we're probably out there. We even do things to help fundraise for other organizations. Um, so we work with the Education Foundation of the Public School System. 
they we collect donations through the public school system. We actually buy the donations from them and pay them as a fundraiser for the foundation. We made it a contest where all the schools compete with each other. But that's one of those things where they're an agency that can't that doesn't know how them how to monetize stuff, right? So if people donate stuff to the Ed Foundation, they can't do anything with it. We, on the other hand, have that expertise. So we started trying a conversation about how do we turn this into a win-win for both agencies, right? How to how do we help you and at the same time help ourselves a little bit and, and come up with a, an innovative partnership? So we do all the logistics on the back end of it, but it's their fundraiser, if that make, if that makes sense. So yeah, sure. Uh, I, I also, um, you, you know, we mentioned you you not only cover Maryland, but it's Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia. How hard is it working across state lines as a regional organization like that? It does get it does get a little challenging because, as you'd imagine, the relationships that you have with all the local entities multiply infinitely when you layer on additional additional states um and and you know and counties there so it does get more challenging because also every every state and jurisdiction applies some of the rules and some of their funding and and and, you know what what their hopeful outcomes are differently so you have to again go down engage in conversation listen learn learn what the initiatives are learn what the gaps are and, and and try to try to figure out where we fit and i will tell you we don't do we don't deliver all the same programs in exactly the same way in all the communities because that's one of the things that we've learned is in some places there are other agencies that are doing some of the things that we do in Maryland in Virginia they may not need us to do that so we will again try to listen and say okay well what are the gaps here are those anything that we have expertise or the ability to help with it we might we might have a slightly different menu of the services that we provide ourselves, and then a different list of ones that will connect to other folks in collaboration for anybody who who might come in our door looking for assistance from Virginia, as opposed to one of the one of the other states. So, it's it's very much a needs and opportunity basis depending on the community. We're very thankful that your leadership is in the Appalachian region. We are appreciative that you personally recognize as Appalachian, being in Western Maryland. I wondered if we could ask you a couple of quick questions just to get to know Dave a little bit. Absolutely. What's your favorite spot in Appalachia? Oh, I'm going to have to say probably Crater Lake in Southwest Virginia, which is where we, which is honestly where, where we lived and sort of played and, and had a lot of, had a lot of good times when we, when we lived down there. So, you know, it's, it's a beautiful mountain lake. It's actually part of the New River, if you're not familiar with it. It's about 24 miles of it that's, that's, that's dammed up just, you know, ironic. Well, it's just south of south of Radford and where it passes, where it passes up through the, the tail end of Virginia before, before it enters into West Virginia. So Nice. What's your favorite thing to do in Appalachia? Uh, we're big hikers. We've always been close to the trail. So besides boating and aquatic activities, the next, the next thing I think would be, uh, would be would be hiking all the trails, not just not just the AT, quite honestly. But you know, we've done we've done stretch up. We've not done a through hike. We've not done anything close to section hike. We've done lots of pieces of it. Some of it in overnight, lots of day hikes, quite honestly. Usually, we try to accidentally pick the worst possible weather day possible, just to make it an adventure to have a story to tell about it when we're done. <laughs> make it make it harder on yourself. Okay, <laughs> pretty pretty much. So you like a challenge? I can see that. Do you have a favorite restaurant? Oh Lord, that's a that's a tough one, my friend. 
there's a couple but so when we go when we particularly when we travel back down to down to the south southwest virginia area there's a kind of couple of local more local establishments down there that we, that we typically hit although i'm going to say um one of them is, is a place that actually at this point is a chain but i think it's an appalachian only chain it's not outside of the appalachian it's called mcadoo's i don't know if you've ever heard of it. it's mostly sandwiches but it it exists mostly in southwestern Virginia. I think the northernmost outpost is in Winchester here, up eighty one. But it's it's sort of southwestern Virginia, Appalachian is where it is. But there are multiple multiple outposts. But that's that's a big that's a big family favorite because they've got about nice. eighty different sandwiches you can order on the menu. So there's something for every something for everybody in there. And it's got it's got one of those kitschy sort of TGI Fridays interiors with lots of sports memorabilia and weird stuff that they've collected in all the restaurants. So it's pretty cool. I know uh, you recently went through the ARC Appalachian Leadership Institute for some of our listeners that don't know through that experience. I know you traveled through several locations throughout Appalachia. What was your favorite experience during that nine month process? Um, Of the entire thing, probably getting to have sort of a behind the look at the caverns, the underground music facility in sort of middle Tennessee. Um, and that's really because when we used to live in Southwest Virginia, we used to watch Blue Ridge Underground when it was in the original cavern on PBS, because quite honestly, that's all we could get at our, one of the only stations we could get at our house because there's, there's no cable and there's no high-speed internet to this day where, where, where we live down there. We actually went there. I went there twice because we went as part of the leadership institute. But we had gone down um, a couple of days earlier and actually caught a concert there. And we walked into the venue, not having heard the story that they had relocated, which I learned later on the second visit. I looked around. And I said, "This is not at all what it looked like on TV." <laughs> like some naive tourist, right? <laughs> and then come to find out that yeah, they actually had moved because they'd been in, in the park previously and had moved over to this other other private location that they that they had set up. Um, but I thought that was that was pretty cool to just you know connect the dots on something we'd always talked about going to try to catch a show there at some point. So it was just kind of cool that that aligned as part of the overall the overall um, process. Nice, that's a cool spot. What uh, I gotta ask this question: cornbread or biscuits? Dude, cornbread all the way. And <laughs> you know, then we can talk about all the variations of cornbread. But we'll we can also go straight cornbread here. So sugar or no sugar? If you're doing it straight, no sugar. Uh, depending on what your purpose is, though, I've got a lot of. Di- I mean, I, we can go all the way to making cornbread pudding here. So there's there's some there's some room for variance depending on your preferences and what you're doing with nice. it. But if you're making straight cornbread, no sugars. Nice, I like nice. your style, Dave. Yeah. I like your style. Yeah. I got to ask you this: a little birdie told me that you're a resident parrot head. Uh, I'm sure you were in mourning recently, but how many shows have you attended, and what is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? <laughs> Uh, I made it to exactly 40 starting in 1994. So a little bit late to the scene, honestly. And also, if you do the math, that means in as some years we went to well more than one show a year, but we don't need to, we don't need to get into what that entailed. Um, <laughs> probably, you know, there's, I, I got, I got favorite songs from him based on mood and everything, but probably I would say one of my all time favorites is from, uh, the 1974 A1A album when he was still when he was still recording down from Key West. Uh, it's a song Tin Cup Chalice. Yep. If you're not familiar with it, go out and get you a copy. I would say the best the single best Buffett concert I ever went to was one when they played Nashville actually, and while it was an indoor show, which a lot of people will tell you indoor and Buffett didn't don't usually don't usually go well. 
because they were in Nashville, half the band was home, right? And Kenny Chesney showed up and played a whole bunch of songs with him in the, in the middle in the middle of the show, which was which was pretty cool. So, in in tradition of what we ask all of our guests, Dave, uh, don't want to leave you out of this, and maybe you've heard it before, but what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word Appalachia? I will say the place that I have called home for more years of my life than anywhere else. And and I guess that's a little bit, I, I hesitated because that, that to me feels like a little bit of a self-serving uh, recollection or, or reflection, but that's, that is, that is the truth. I mean, I did grow up outside of Washington, DC for a little while, but I've lived, I've lived, you know, in some portion of Appalachia for more, more time than I, than I, than I did there. So it is what I, it is what I call home. And I know it's home to a lot of folks. Perfect. Whether they're from here or they came here, either way. Well, that leads to our next question that we ask everyone: Just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? Uh, well, I'm I'm gonna call any, anywhere anywhere where I where I can where I can look out and on a, on occasion, the mountains in the distance get bluer and bluer as as I as I look off to the horizon. Typically, so that's that's one of those things, man. Any anytime I can catch a vista like that, just 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 hit you right hit you right right there. That's great, Neil. And I like to say a little magic in the mountains. That's right. Dave, uh, thank you so much for being part of the episode, for sharing what your organization does. Thank you for your leadership, for being really an innovative leader, not only in your field, but in your community, in your organization. So thank you for taking the time and, and speaking with us. You're you're absolutely you're absolutely welcome. It is it is you know our our humble pleasure as an organization to to do what we can uh, to try to try to help out where and when we can. Will, so a lot more to just picking up your tax receipt at Goodwill. Dave, <laughs> giving us all kinds of insightful information. So I'm, uh, I'm really glad that he came on and, and talked to us and, and told us about, you know, what all he has going on at his organization and what they do. Yeah, I am too. I, was, I won't say surprised, but there's so much more that Goodwill does for a community. And, and like Dave suggested, you know, their organization there in Maryland they think outside the box and they really fill gaps where the needs are. So a creative way to provide a solution. Yeah, for sure. Kudos to Goodwill and kudos to Dave for all of his, all of his hard work. Yeah. We want to thank him again for being on the show, for telling us about what he does, for helping us understand a little bit more about charitable opportunities throughout Appalachia. But that being said, I wanted to mention something that I forgot in the beginning, Neil. You know what's happening also this weekend? Um, I don't know, Will. I got a pretty good idea. Would you like for me to tell you? I mean, sure. It is Nilly's birthday. October <laughs> 1st. Happy early birthday, Neil. Getting old, baby. Getting old. That's uh yeah. it's got part big of plans. Life. Big plans for the weekend? No, not really. I already told you. I mean, filled with football, right? So, I mean, I guess that's a perfect birthday. Perfect birthday <laughs> for you. You're not celebrating with the cake or anything? No, nah, I mean, I don't know. There may be one around eventually, but it won't be purchased by me. Well, it's your birthday. It shouldn't be purchased by you. <laughs> if you're having a cake, what's your favorite cake? 
Good question. I'm not the biggest cake guy. There is this place that Rachel gets some cakes from, those bunk cakes. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. Those are really good. So I don't know. Maybe she'll surprise me with one of those. You're telling me your favorite cake is a bunk cake? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of all I the mean, cakes in the world, your favorite is a bunk cake. I think that's like the brand. It's not like that. That's not like a it's a, type. A, it's a type of cake. It's a type like what? you have a bunk pan, you pour the cake in, and you turn it upside down, and that makes a bunk <laughs> cake. No, so that's not that's not what I'm that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's what no, you said. It's it's B U N D T. Nothing bunt cakes. Oh, it's a store. It's called oh, okay. Nothing Bunt Cakes. Gotcha. <laughs> so they make all kinds of 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 cakes and. Uh, uh, they're really, really good. And yes, that is my favorite place to get a cake. Lost in translation there. I guess that's a local, local store. I mean, it's, it's, it's in Appalachia. Yeah. Close. Okay. That, if I was, that's my go-to if I was going to get the pick. Well, we'll, we'll give them a little shout out in the show notes. I also have another at biz of the week. Awesome. I was hoping you had one. Yeah. Obviously highlighted Goodwill. We talked about their donation centers, which what people think about when they think of, think of Goodwill. But I wanted to highlight a company that doesn't necessarily take donations, but they are considered more of a thrift opportunity. Youngstown Flea. Youngstown Flea is in its eighth season. The founder of the Flea, Derek McDowell, started it, like I said, eight years ago and it has grown ever since he has a quote this isn't about what we were this isn't about what we are now this is about what we are becoming they have a number of vendors it's on boardman street in youngstown ohio we'll obviously put it in the show notes but some of the vendors tongue punch flavor company Bake me treats. They have everything from baked goods to apparel to accessories and all the above. It's a pretty cool spot. Obviously, flea markets are a big deal, but this is kind of the new age flea market where it comes together, where they have community events taking place while they're having the flea market. Uh, the next one is on October 7th. It's called the Fall Flea. I wanted to definitely point that one out because it's coming up in its, like I said, in its eighth season. We'll post it. It's from nine to three on October 7th, but it has the vendor list for that day. So if you're in the area, definitely check out the Youngstown Flea. It's youngstownflea.com. Sounds delightful, Will. I really wish they would change the name, but it sounds sounds like it's a happening place. You talked about my bunk cakes. I mean, it could be misleading, right? <laughs> that's true that's very true <laughs> well man another great episode thanks again to dave schuster uh what a great guy great guest to have on i hope to follow up with him in the future sometime yeah definitely i agree um i guess we're at that time where we can end this episode like the other others till next time peace i'm up in the mountains again i'm getting lighter the air's getting now I'm facing down with a grin I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing
sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.